to see everybody and grateful you're with us today. If you're new here, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we're one church that meets in a bunch of locations. So would you join me in giving some love to all of our Mountain family and all the other places this morning? All the different campuses and other side of the camera as well. A lot of folk joining us online. Um, There's something really special happening in our church right now. Maybe you sense it. I hope you're part of it. I would describe it maybe a little bit like there's just like a fresh hunger for God, like a, 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 a hunger for His truth and His Word, and just like getting, getting after it, like living full on for God, and it's kind of a fresh movement, and I'm really glad today I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to feed that hunger, I hope, today, and it fits perfectly with this thing we're in called Run With It, which is just like, let's do, let's not sit around, let's not go halfway with our faith, let's, uh, this unstoppable good journey we're on, we're halfway through a two-year journey that's a, a journey of spiritual growth and mission increase, and um, it's just helping us see that when we talk about Jesus and following Him, the, the, the question is, you know, is God the most important thing in your life? Is he like number one in your life? How much does Jesus mean to you? you know, what would you not give up for God? Those are questions we're going to probe into a little bit today because they reveal a lot about our heart and how ready we are for God to do the next thing in us, okay? So, um, hey, these booklets are awesome. I hope you've appreciated that. We put a lot of work into this thing. It's a beautiful booklet. It's like, I just think they did a great job on it. If you don't have a copy of one of these booklets, we just want, I don't care if you're first time here or whatever, we really want you to have one. So if you'll just pop your hand up like this, um, some of the people will come down the aisles and they will throw one into your hands so fast you won't even believe it. You're going to be glad you have that booklet. And we'll put the QR code up here as well. If you forgot yours, just take a picture of that. It'll give you the electronic stuff. Um, but also there's a lot of other stuff on that website as well. But it, it just kind of reviews a little, there's some cool history about Mountain kind of what Unstoppable Good was about, what we said we hoped we could do, what in fact we did and what's left to do. And um, there's another one up here, a couple of these over here. We want to get one in your hands. Also, there's a card here. This is like a, this is a tool, a spiritual tool to say, uh, to be preparing. Next week, we'll have a moment where we will just invite everybody to offer that card in whatever way you're being led to do. And, um, and we trust that through that, God's going to help us do a whole bunch more cool stuff for his kingdom. Um, it's been amazing what we've been able to do in the last year. It really is. And we look forward to seeing what's next, okay? So that's, um, that's the deal. So we'll leave that QR code up for a second longer if you um, want to take a picture of that. So uh, we are working through the life of Abraham. If you want to turn in that booklet um, to page 35, there's a place to take notes. Some of you are note takers. You can do that. So Abraham, right? We're, we're drawing some spiritual lessons from the life of Abraham, one of the pivotal figures of the Old Testament. When we meet him, he's already old, 75 years old or so. His wife's like 60. Her name's Sarah. And God speaks and says, Abraham, I need you to leave everything that you are comfortable with and that you know to go to a place I will show you. God makes a promise to him that through you and your offspring, we will bless all of the peoples of the world. The problem is he's old. He doesn't have any kids. His wife can't have kids. And it's 25 years of waiting. And what in the world is going on? God has called him to go someplace, but you get the feeling as you look through this that it's more than, it, God is not just trying to get him to go someplace. God's, God's wanting to help Abraham become someone that he needs him to be. And, and I, I hope that you can connect with that idea yourself. 
like, I don't know all that's going on in your life, but God's probably calling you to, to go someplace, but it's really about who you're becoming. And that starts with our trust in God. And so today's, that's what today's passage is all about. Like, it's a test to see how much Abraham trusts God. So chapter 22 of Genesis, all right, here we go. Chapter 22, starting in verse 1, right off the bat, here's what we see. First, God calls and says, Abraham, I need you to go. I'm going to call you by name to go do this thing. But then, sometime later, God, what's the word? tested Abraham. So we know something right off the bat that Abraham doesn't know, that this is in fact a test. He doesn't know it, but we do. We know it's a test. Now you all know about tests, right? How many of you, I think I've told you about the ornithology exam that the college students had to take. You remember that? So you know what ornithology is? A study of birds? And these kids were, they had studied so hard for their big exam in college and the ornithology exam and they come in one day and the professor puts up one picture on the screen and he hands out a piece of paper, blank piece of paper with a pencil and says, all right, on the screen is a picture of 25 different birds, but only you can see their feet. And I need you to identify every bird. Oh, these students are so mad. They're just enraged. They're like, we've studied so hard for this test, all this stuff about birds we know, and you're going to make us identify these birds by their feet. They're so mad. One kid gets up and he starts to storm out and he says, I'm not taking that test. This is not fair. And the professor says, well, if you walk out that door, I'm going to have to fail you. And, the professor, and he says back to the professor, says, you just go ahead and do that. And the, and the professor, is, he's like, you stop right there, young man. What's your name? And the kid pops off his shoe and holds up his foot and says, you tell me, professor. You tell me. <laughs> so tests. <laughs> tests reveal what you know, don't they? Yeah. They reveal what you know. And sometimes when we think of a test, it's about knowledge. But in the Bible, when you see a test, it's not about knowledge. It reveals, it reveals who you are. And that's what's about to go down. And I want you to understand something. You can't read this passage without understanding. This is not just a test for Abraham. You know, this is a test for us. There's a test for you today about who you are. We can say all kinds of things about how much God means to us, but tests reveal the truth, don't they? So how important is God to you? How much does Jesus really mean to you? What would you not give up for God? Doesn't matter what you say, the test will reveal the truth. An unstoppable good, in fact, next week to some degree, is a test to reveal some of the things that we're willing or unwilling to surrender for God. All right, so Abraham, he's getting ready to face uh, one of the most severe and supreme tests in all of the Bible. We'll go to chapter 22, the last part of verse 1. 22, 1b. God said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now stop right there. When he says, here I am, we just need to be clear, he's not like identifying his geographic location, like here's my GPS coordinates, God, I'm over here. What's he doing? When he says, here I am, what's he doing? He, he's saying, I'm, I'm available. He is offering himself to God, saying, I'm at your service. And all through the Bible, there are times when God calls you by name and calls someone by name, and they don't always respond this way. Like Jonah, like Jonah, Jonah, God calls a guy named Jonah in the Old Testament. He's like, I, he doesn't say, here I am. He says, I'm out of here. And some of us have done that. Some of us are maybe doing it right now. 
kind of running the other way. I'm not interested in being about your stuff right now. Or another guy named Isaiah. God comes to him and, and, and heals him, does a great work, and then says, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am. And that's, that's the word that Abraham brings. He says, here I am. It's a, it's a sign of surrender and openness and trust. Here I am to serve you, Lord. I, 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 I hear your voice. When God calls your name, he's wanting you in the game, okay? He's not just calling you to say hi. When he calls your name, he's got something, like Abraham, he had, he had a, something for him to do. And God is calling us by name. I'm quite sure of it. And he wants you in the game somehow. There's something for you to do. So when you feel and sense through today's message, through the nudges of the Spirit in your life that God is nudging you, be responsive with a here I am kind of attitude. And, you, and that'll, that's the first step in trusting God. Now, Abraham is able to say here I am. And I think part of the reason is he had heard this voice before. This is the same voice that had made a promise to Abraham, the same voice that had asked him to do hard things, and he had done it. And this, this is the same voice that made a covenant with Abraham. Remember the covenant? What was the sign of the covenant? Anybody remember? Circumcision. Yeah. Yeah. So Abraham, like, he had to circumcise himself as a sign of the covenant. I mean, can you ma- I mean, no, actually, don't imagine that. But it's like, I'm th- he's got to be thinking, like, God, is there... Is there like another idea? Like, could we do like a secret handshake? Could there be a decoder ring? What, you know? But he does it because he's heard this voice and he's a here I am kind of guy. And he hears the same voice now. And so I believe God's calling you and I right now as well, trying to get our attention um, to get us in the game some way or other and the and the question is what's your answer and we can say you know god thank you leave a message i'll get back to you when i have time if i'm interested you know i'm busy whatever or you can say here i am whatever whatever you want i'm i'm here for it i'm ready to run with it is that where you are today that's where abraham was and he's about to have a severe test to prove it so Genesis 22, this promised son has finally arrived. You're going to have a kid. Well, they didn't have a kid, but then all of a sudden they do. Who remembers what the son of Abraham and Isaac... <laughs> Never mind, the son's name was Isaac. Okay, how about this? Does anybody remember what the name Isaac means? Yeah, it means laughter. Yeah, because both Abraham and Sarah laughed. And it, there's a, it's funny. It is funny. I mean, these are really old people. I mean, when the baby's born, nobody in the family has any teeth. I mean, it's, it is funny. You know, it's, this is a baby that's covered by Medicare. I mean, you know, it's like, it's kind of funny, you know. There's a lot funny about it. They go, they go get, you know, they go to Walmart and they get Pampers and Depends at the same time. I mean, like the baby's born in the geriatric world. I mean, there's lots of funny things uh, about this. And they laugh probably all the way through his childhood. But now when we come to this text later, he's grown up a little bit. He's probably around 15 years old. And that's when he, Abraham receives the test. And here it is, verse 2, chapter 22, verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Abraham had to be in absolute shock. I mean, it's just so jarring. It's like a record screech moment in the Bible, isn't it? It's like, what? No one's laughing now, you know? 
How could God require such a horrible thing? I mean, what, what kind of a God does that? As a parent, I, I can't even get my brain wrapped around that idea. I think of how much I love my kids and how I would, I, I would sacrifice for them, but the idea of sacrificing them is, uh, doesn't sit well. And I don't know if you notice something here, but this is the first place in the Bible that the word love appears. And it's used in the context of a father who dearly loves his son. You're going to find all through this story little sneak peeks, little, little hints about what's coming later in our story. And this is the first hint about a father who would love his son Jesus so much. And there it is. A father who would be asked to sacrifice his son. And it's just, it's, um, it's hard. Now we know, back from verse 1, that this is a test. Abraham doesn't know that. And let me be clear. There has never been a time in Scripture uh, before this or after this when God has asked for human sacrifice. Never, ever. In fact, it's, command, it, it's, 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 com, it's condemned all through the Bible. And he's certainly not asking it of us. But it is a test, and it's not an easy one, because God's serious about understanding. He wants to do something big through Abraham, and he wants to do something in Abraham first. And so let's see where this goes next. Verse 3, chapter 22, verse 3. See if we can get that verse 3 up there. Pow. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. This just blows my mind. So you get this kind of command. He didn't say, give me a month to think about it. Early the next morning, he could not have had a good night's sleep. Mind racing all night long, wondering what and thinking, what in the world. But early the next morning, first thing, delayed obedience is not obedience. Early the next morning, Abraham gets up and he loads his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And he begins what had to have been the most difficult trip of his life. Abraham is not only taking his promised son, his loved son, but he's taking this, this dream, this ticket to the future. The, uh, through Isaac, his only son, is where all of the dream is going to come true, the promise about descendants and all of this stuff. And yet, here he goes. Verse 4, chapter 22, verse 4. On the third day, they're walking for three days, Abraham looked up. So that, that, that struck me. It's like, by the third day, I've got enough time to change my mind and turn around and go back. But Abraham doesn't waver in his faith. Three days later, after walking and thinking about this the whole time, he looked up and he saw the place off in the distance. And I wonder what Isaac was thinking. He's probably thinking, this is great, camping trip with dad, you know, guy's weekend, how awesome is this? Who knows what Abraham is thinking, but he doesn't waver in his faith. Verse 5, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now listen to this. It says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. I want you to notice that word, we. We will worship, and we will come back to you. Don't miss this, because this is so powerful. First of all, he says we're going to worship. What's worship? Worship is 
choosing God over everything and everyone. It's surrendering to God. And Abraham says, I've got to surrender this all to God. Surrender is a, is a part of our worship. We all have something to surrender every time we're together, don't we? It's why, it's why some people raise their hands in worship, because that's the international symbol for surrender. And also, I want you to notice this. Abraham says, we're going to go worship and then we're going to come back. Now, why did he say we're going to come back? Because he knows what God's asked him to do. Maybe it was because he didn't want to tip anybody off and get them alarmed or suspicious. But I think there's another reason. I think the reason he says we're going to go worship and then we're going to come back is he fully trusts God so much that I think he believes that if God doesn't, you know, if we go through with this and, and Isaac loses his life, I trust God's going to raise him up again. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 and 19. It gives us a, a, an idea of what was going through Abraham's mind. Here's what it says. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, talking about this incident, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, and Abraham reasoned, well, God can raise the dead. That's why he says, we're going to go over there and we're going to come back. I don't know if I'm going to kill my son or not, but if we do, God will raise him up because I know God. He doesn't know when or how God is going to fulfill his promise, but he trusts that God is going to keep his promise. Wow. Even when you don't know when, even when you don't know how, you just keep trusting God. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. So now... Isaac's got the wood on his back, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up to his father. Such a poignant moment. Can you see this and feel it? Father? Yes, my son? Like dreading the conversation that's about to ensue. Uh, The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Such an innocent question. I think there's something really huge here for every parent or grandparent or uncle or aunt. If you've got an influence over children, I want you to notice something. You notice what Isaac doesn't ask? He doesn't say, Dad, what's this wood for? Why are we taking fire? You know why he doesn't ask that? Because obviously... This kid's been with his dad before when they've gone up a mountain somewhere to make a a worship God and sacrifice before. He knows exactly what's about to go down. He just doesn't know that he's the sacrifice. That's why he says, where's the lamb? But he's been with his daddy before worshiping God. And I just think it's so powerful to think about that. Our kids need to see us do that. And you know what? Right now, during this unstoppable good time is a perfect time for us to Help our kids understand what's important in our lives. Our kids need to see us worship sometimes. They need to see us with our Bibles open sometimes. They need to see us bowing our heads in prayer. They need to see us trusting God through a tough time. They need to see us taking a sermon seriously, taking our small group seriously. They need to understand that you give sacrificially because God is number one. You know what? This is a great, when you fill this card out, I'm telling you, it'd be really smart. I don't care how old your kids are. Tell them you know what, our family is trying our best to put God first in our life. And so we're going to give a generous gift to God through this, you know, and help your kids get that. That's what Isaac is seeing here. 
He knows his dad loves God, number one. He's about to figure out just the lengths and the depths of that. But let your kids hear you say the same. And uh, kids don't need a perfect parent. They just need, they need an example of someone who's trying to put God first. And so you can tell your kids, but it's what they see that really makes the difference, isn't it? So... Yeah, there's an opportunity there and a, and a powerful, uh, powerful example. I'm so grateful for our next-gen ministries and, our, you know, for, for our mountain kids and for students. They're trying their best to help our kids understand the priority of God in their lives, but really it's a partnership between all of us, isn't it? We all got to work together on that. So, all right, so here's the thing. Just as Abraham is now walking his son up there to offer him to the Lord, and it's a huge test of how much Abraham loves God. Here's the thing. Do you realize this is also just like a little foreshadowing of Jesus and what he's asking of us? Jesus wants to know, how much do you love me? What would keep you from trusting me? Jesus teaches this all the time. Like in the New Testament, there's, there's this guy who um, comes up, you know, Jesus says, follow me. And one guy says, well, I, I'm in. I want to follow you. But first, I need to go bury my father. I take care of some family. Another one says, I'm in too. <coughs> Excuse me. But first, let me go take care of my family. <coughs> and Jesus isn't saying that Taking care of your family is bad, but he says, I don't think you're ready yet when those guys say that, because he's trying to help us see that our deepest affection, even deeper than the family loyalties we have, we've got to put the kingdom of God first, and as you do, then all these other things just get better and are added back to us in a better way, but only when we really put God first. Let me ask you this question. What are you doing in your life right now? Maybe a behavior or a habit or something? Or what, maybe what are you thinking? What are some thought patterns in your life? Or what, what is something that you love so much that it's keeping you from putting God first in your life? What are you, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you loving that, that just is keeping you from saying, God, you're number one? So Isaac asks his dad. He's really confused, like, I know what's involved in worship, but I I have the fire in the wood. Where's the lamb? Here, let's look at verse 8. Verse 8, here's the answer. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide. He doesn't know when, doesn't know how, but he trusts God for everything. God's going to provide. He's done it before, son. He's going to do it again. It's crazy. What strikes us, I think, in this, what strikes me, is the sheer obedience of Abraham. Like, God said it, he was going to do it, step by step, moment by moment. Verse 9, when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. I bet it was quiet and silent. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood and now is the time there's no more evading it or putting it off he takes Isaac this son of his this promise this dream child the future and he ties up his legs and he binds his arms so there's no struggle and then he picks this little child of promise whom he held on the first day he was born 
the one he read stories to as a kid and played within the splashing bathwater of a baby. And then he places that body on the altar, and he had to have been a blubbering mess, like, son, I couldn't find any way to love you more than I do, but God is asking us to do this, and I don't know why right now, but I believe that he will raise you from the dead if need be. I don't know what he said, maybe something like that. And, and it makes me want to ask a little bit, like, well, why would God, I mean, didn't, doesn't God already know the level of Abraham's faith? And, well, maybe, yeah, I guess he would, but you know what? Maybe Abraham needed to see what was about to happen. More importantly, maybe Isaac needed to see that Abraham loved God more than anything. Verse 10, verse 10, then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Freeze. It reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia. You guys all, anyone read the Chronicles of Narnia? It's a great read. Read it to your kids, your grandkids. Don't, don't watch the movie until after you read the book. You're not allowed to do that. But these two kids are, are trying to get to know Aslan, which is this fierce, wonderful lion who represents Christ. And he's not to be trifled with, you know. He's this big, fearsome lion. And one of the little kids says, well, I'm a little nervous about meeting a lion. Is he safe? And one of the others, Mrs. Beaver, says, of course he's not safe. But he's good. And that's a picture of our God, like Aslan. He's not a tame lion. He's not safe. It's not safe to follow God. If you want to have a nice, safe little world where you're in charge of everything... And God is not to be controlled or manipulated or mocked or ignored. He commands things that don't feel safe. But here's the thing, he's good. Abraham has already learned, wow, this God is not safe. But he's about to learn that this God is good. And if you're going through a hard thing right now and it feels like your life is not safe, remember this, there's a God who's with you who's good. And if you're going through your own test, just hold on, he's good. Look at verse 11. Here we go. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on that boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Abraham has passed the test because he has not withheld his only son. He shows that there is nothing he would not do for God, no one he would Uh, put in front of God, know where he will not go with God. Now I know that you will hold nothing back from me. Now I know that you're ready. We can really do something now. And Abraham knows it too. And Isaac knows it too. It's beautiful. Take a look at verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram And he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it is provided. It was very significant in the Hebrew Bible when places got a name because it showed, you know, something significant that happened there. And I want you to notice, the name of that mountain is not Abraham passed to the test. The name of the mountain is not Abraham trusted God. What's the name of the mountain? God 
will provide. This is not primarily a story about Abraham's amazing faith. This is primarily a story about the amazing provision and trustworthiness of God. And this whole story is also meant to point our gaze forward 2,000 years When another son who was dearly loved would walk up basically this same mountain, it's in the same vicinity where the temple itself was built, where Calvary was, this other son who would also carry the wood on his back and then crawl on top of another piece of wood 2,000 years later, except at that moment when the the hammer went up, it didn't stop in midair. God let it come down because on that wood was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there was no substitute for him because he's the substitute for you. Isn't it beautiful? When you see Abraham was asked to do the same thing that the Almighty God of the universe would do many years later, you begin to feel the sort of depths, the Jehovah Jireh, God providing, is not just for you and me when we're in a bind, it's, it's the ultimate provision of God for our sin, for our life, for our future, and the incredible depth of that Father's love who would not withhold His only Son. That just is a beautiful picture. This is not primarily a story about Abraham's commitment to God. It's about God's commitment to Abraham. It's not about how much Abraham loved God. It's not even really a story about how much God loved Abraham. It's about how much God loves you and me. This is a story to help us think about how much God loves us. And by extension, how much... You love God in response to that. When all is said and done in your life, you're not going to look back at all of your great sacrifices for God. It's going to be be a story about God's amazing, steadfast faithfulness to you. And when you grasp that, that God has not withheld his son, what could you possibly withhold from him? The kind of God who asks for your only child is an austere, fearful God that you might end up serving out of fear. And that's not the Christian God. The God who gives up his own son is a God of incredible love. And a God that you want to serve and do whatever he asks out of gratitude and trust and love. Uh, Sadly, I I didn't get a lot of sleep uh, Tuesday night this week. Carl and I were out of town. We attended a pastor's conference. We go to try to beef up our skills and, and fill up our bucket to bring stuff back for you all. But as pastors do sometimes, I was up till about midnight in the lobby yakking it up with some guys and got back to the room ready to crawl in bed. And as soon as we hit the pillow, it started through what seemed like paper-thin walls next door. There was a woman who was going at it. We soon figured out, I didn't want to listen. I didn't want to hear a word of it. I just wanted to go to bed, but you couldn't help but hear every sordid detail as this woman was reaming out her husband. She was out of town. He was back home, and she was very angry because he had been with another woman that night, and she was very angry, and This other woman had clearly been a problem in their relationship before. She had asked him not to contact her. He did. 
He was with her that evening. Why'd you go over there? Why did you text her? You're sleeping with her, aren't you? It just went on and on. It was, it was horrible. I can't trust you. It was this horrible thing. I, and then I can't even stand to sort of repeat it to you, but the line that stuck out to me was, you can't keep her in your life and keep me as your wife. That man has a choice to make. And after I got over being annoyed that this couple's domestic dispute had interrupted my precious sleep, God sort of used it to speak to me, first of all, to ask myself, how much do I really love Carla? Like, is there anything that I would not give up in order to preserve our relationship? Like if, especially if she'd asked, is there anything there? And then... I realized I don't think the Lord was wanting me to think so much just about my relationship with my wife only, but my relationship with him. And he began to call to mind some things in my life, some attitudes and habits that I've been letting slide. And it was like God was saying, you can't have that in your life and have me as number one. And I was just wondering if, if you had a conversation with God about any of this. Can you feel that? Like, I don't think God's going to call you on the phone and ream me out. But when you don't put him first, if you don't surrender what needs to be surrendered, it, it, the relationship with God just doesn't work. It's just going to be less than, and, and he's not, he's not going to be happy about it. So is there something you're doing, thinking, or loving that... Is keeping you from surrendering to God. There was a guy in the Bible, he was called the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, he's very wealthy, and he thinks he's followed all the religious rules, and he says, am I good now? Am I going to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what about if you sold everything you had and, and gave it to the poor, and then came back and followed? And immediately, he goes away sad, because just like that, Jesus found something that he loved more than God. In that guy's case, it was all his stuff, and often it's our stuff. I don't know. I don't know if Jesus really wanted him to give it all to the poor or not, but he wanted to give him a test. And the point is, there's something he loved more than God. We all love something more than God. What do you love more than God? You know what? That's called an idol. Whatever it is in my life or your life, and that's what we're called to surrender and worship God first and foremost, the one who did not withhold his only son, because that same son who walked up that mountain, who got on the wood and the nails went through his hands, and who then rose again so that you and I might have life, that's the one who says, now follow me. And don't tell me you got 10 other things to do first. That's the same God who has the same test for us. So let me just ask you, is there anything you love more than me, Jesus wants to know? Would you be willing to give me your best So I don't know the right way to, to, to sum all this up, but maybe, maybe it's as simple as, as just saying, what's your Isaac, you know? What's, what's that thing that you're tempted to love so much that putting it, you know, in front of God is something that's really easy for you to do? Or maybe put it this way, what's one thing that prevents you from being fully surrendered to God? Do you know what it is? 
God's never asked for a human sacrifice. He never will. But, you know, the Bible says, um, offer your whole selves, Romans 12, your whole selves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And that's what proper worship looks like. So, you know, I love listening to stories of people at Mountain who have um, wrestled through different things like this. And I want you to just enjoy hearing the story of some friends of ours, the Fletchers, great family that we love so much. And they just walk through some of what they're thinking about um, life in this period of time and with unstoppable good. So go ahead and watch the screen. Part of why I'm here on earth is to worship. Whether from my seat, on a stage, it doesn't matter. Um, being able to do that allows me, I feel, to walk in my calling. Um, it also allows our children to see us serving God and putting Him first, uh, which is important to us. When we came to Mountain, it was too big. It was, it was, it, it was a lot bigger than we were accustomed to. Yeah. Um, but the word was on point, and that was something that, that we were definitely looking for. The more that we come and connect, the smaller it becomes. So it's weird sometimes when I hear people say, it's a mega church. I was like, it doesn't feel like it, because we've locked in. And then it helped that we serve on in different areas because that way we get to know more people. Being able to serve at Mountain provides us with community. I wanted to feel a connection to not just the word, but to people here as well. Um, what made a huge impact on that for me was it wasn't about politics or, or, or racial divisions. It was just about Christ as a starting point, which made it easier now to discuss other things through that lens as opposed to trying to see Christ through those lenses. Um, so that was a huge, like, that was huge for us. I think about the story in 2 Samuel 24, um, verse 24, where um, one of the kings was trying to give David something to sacrifice, and he was like, um, he can't sacrifice something to God that didn't cost him anything. So sometimes it's hard to give, but if you really want to be a giver, if you really want to, you know, you know, sacrifice as much as God has sacrificed for us, then sometimes you have to you have to do that. You have to go above and beyond your limitations, um, what you think you can do, and just, you know, do it. God is faithful. He is literally never failed. We, we believe, like Zeno is saying, that this is part of our worship. Sometimes we conflate wants and needs, but he never leaves us needy. And I do believe that he blesses what we give to him. I want to see a generation that is able to rise up and be bold for Christ. That the things we do on Wednesdays for the youth and them coming to church on Sunday, that that makes a difference to them. I want to see God move in 
in a way that really changes the trajectory of, of, of lives. Can we be as impactful in the youth's lives so that they could experience Christ in a way that's real where they are to become his disciples? Yeah, I love hearing stories of other people and how they're wrestling with faith. It helps us all think about our next steps and how you're wrestling with a God who says, put me first. I'll tell you one more story. Um, years ago in China, uh, we had some missionary friends there. And it was a period of time when the government was starting to get very nervous about Christian missionaries there. And so one day, this family of missionaries had a knock on the door. It was the military police. The government was getting angsty and was starting to shut down churches and kick out the missionaries. And they came to this, they came to this family, and they said, tomorrow morning, you're gone. 8 a.m., we're picking you up. We're taking you to the train station, and out you go. You can take 200 pounds. Here's some boxes, 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. Any questions? Not an ounce more than 200 pounds. They said, we get it. So the soldiers left, and immediately that family did what any of us would do. They kind of immediately scampered around, tried to figure out, what are we going to take? What are we going to leave? And they got things in the box and put the box on the scale. What about these books? Oh, they're so heavy, but I can't bear to leave them, but we have to leave these behind. What about this lamp? Oh, it's too bulky, but the computer has everything on it. I got to take that. What about this coat? Well, that was a gift. Everything went in and out of the boxes. The boxes on and off the scale all night long until they had just the most precious things, 200 pounds on the dot. The next morning, knock on the door. The soldiers are there. They walked in and said, are you ready? They said, we're ready. You got 200 pounds? They said, we got 200 pounds. They said, did you weigh the kids? They said, the the no, we didn't weigh the kids. You better weigh the kids. And immediately, in an instant, everything that they treasured so much was rubbish and left in a heap as they took their precious children and put them on the scale. And I feel like as I read my scriptures and hear this story, Jesus kind of wants to know when you think about what's truly most important to you, like what you keep if everything else had to go, is it me, he says? Is it me? Father, help us. Uh, we're so far from the faith of Abraham. I feel like none of us is fully there. And, and this is overwhelming in a way. But it's also just a beautiful picture, not of how much faith we have to muster, but it's a beautiful picture of how much love you have for us. So I pray for everyone here today that we will take whatever might be our Isaac and offer it to you knowing that you will make good and you are not just, you know, you're not just scary, you're, you're, you're good and you can be trusted and help us above all to put you first and surrender all things. Help us to do that this week. Help us to do it next week when we come back with our cards. Help us to live like Abraham, and most of all, like Jesus, who gave it all out of love. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.